Welcome to CinemaScope, a new podcast from True Story FM. Hi, I'm Andy Nelson, co-host of the Next Real Film podcast and Movies We Like. As a passionate movie lover, I've always relished exploring the diverse landscape of cinema. And when you look closer at the taxonomy of genres, subgenres, and film movements, you see an intricate web of interconnections and influences. This complex cinematic family tree spans only 125 years. So how did styles as diverse as the French New Wave, New Queer Cinema, and Ozploitation emerge? What cultural, economic, and technological forces sculpted these styles? And what hidden threads unite them all as part of the same fantastic art form? Those questions sent me on a journey to explore each style and trace their impacts, all to better understand the bridges between different styles. And that led me here to CinemaScope. In each episode, I'll be exploring one particular genre, subgenre, or film movement in depth, inviting expert guests to help us all better understand what defines that style, how it came to be, and what branches it, in turn, influenced on this big cinematic family tree. For example, how did German Expressionism shape American film noir? What's the difference between Westerns, Spaghetti Westerns, and Brazilian Nordesterns? We'll examine the economic and socio-political forces that birthed categories like black exploitation, and we'll spotlight visionary films and directors key to the evolution of different styles. So join me as we explore the complex forces that shape film's evolution and appreciate the diverse creativity possible in its relatively brief history. Let Cinemascope be your guide to understanding this art form we cherish how its genres blend, bounce off each other, and advance a rich tapestry of storytelling innovation. Together, we'll gain a deeper appreciation for this wondrous, shape-shifting medium. Our journey begins soon. Be part of this adventure by subscribing to CinemaScope today. I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to The Next Reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. In just a matter of seconds, you're going to hear a classic episode of this show from back in the day when we called ourselves Movies We Like. It took us a while to settle into the show's format, so you'll notice some differences as you listen to these episodes. For instance, it takes us a bit of time to actually get into the conversation about the movie. Things like that. But we're still proud of the conversations about the movies themselves, and we think they're worth keeping in the library. So enjoy these episodes from our back catalog. And you can become part of our Discord community, learn more about the show, and find out how you can become a supporting member at thenextreel.com. So thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to The Next Reel. We appreciate your time and attention, and we hope you enjoy the show. I want to talk to you about three things. Okay. Okay. Have you seen Zero Dark Thirty Trailer 2? Yes. Ah, man. Was it awesome? I am very excited about that film. I am. I feel I'm frustratedly excited. I hate this. I hate it when this happens because it's I'm I'm so excited for this film. I'm I'm worried it's going to fail me. Same. This is the same thing I feel about Cloud Atlas. These are two movies where the stakes are high. This is the Prometheus effect. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's exactly what we should call it, the Prometheus effect. Heretofore, it, 
this is known as the Prometheus effect. When the yeah. pre when the pre excitement of the film is about to torpedo the experience of the film itself. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Oh man, why does it do this to us? I know. I feel that way about quite a few films coming out this fall. And I, I have to ask myself, why am I feeling that way? Is it because there have been so many tra so many I guess it is because I've there's been so many things I've been excited for because of the trailers and then they haven't lived up to the hype. They haven't lived up to my expectations. And then Dread comes along. <laughs> yes. You know what? That's right. What is that called? That's got to be something. <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to work on the name for that one. We're going to have to call that that that's maybe that's it's the the, it's the, the dread, dread effect. effect. <laughs> maybe it's the dread effect. It's the opposite of the Prometheus effect. Oh, it's painful. I really, really liked it. I uh, I was surprised at just how much I liked uh, uh, Jessica Chastain appeared confident. Confident, quiet, mysterious, powerful. Yes. Uh, all of the above. Oh. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it. I don't think lot. she spoke once in the trailer. No, she didn't. She just looked confident. Yeah. No, this is going to be, this is going to be, uh, hopefully this is going to be a good one. Yeah. All right. Uh, then next, uh, Hitchcock. Yes. What'd you think of that one? Very excited. Are you? I am. It's, it's, it, it's a lot more than what I was thinking it was going to be about. I thought it was more about kind of just, I, I think there's some of that about the relationship he had um, while making Psycho and kind of like the... You know how he always has his young starlets, and and he's always killing them off. And but it's it's interesting because it's about obviously there's him and his wife and the starlet, but it's also dealing with him struggling to get the movie made itself, which I actually had no idea that he actually had to self finance Psycho because no one believed that he could make anything good out of it. That was so cool. Yeah, I loved that when he wanted to write the check. Yeah. Do you think? What do you think of Anthony Hopkins? I love him. He's a, he's a, he's great. This is a, I think this is going to be a, a, I'm, I'm having a similar experience that I had with uh, Nixon. Oh, really? Where uh, the, the trailer, I, I wasn't, I didn't buy it, but as soon as I saw him actually in it, in the, yeah in the film, I, you know, in the first five minutes, you realize that the, the trailer didn't do it justice. Is is that part of the dread effect, or is that something else entirely? That's when, it. when the yeah. actor's performance you don't buy, and then all of a sudden... That's what we're going to call it. that a Hopkins. The Hopkins. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we're inventing a That's whole right. new cinematic language tonight. This is fantastic. God, what you don't want to have is is a, uh, uh, a Lucas Hopkins. <laughs> you never want a Lucas the Hopkins. Oh, you're right. Right. <laughs> <laughs> uh okay and the third one i wanted to talk about is one that you actually pointed out to me i didn't even know this movie was coming and uh i'm very excited to hear your take on it uh movie 43 all i can say is wow that was not a film i was really expecting anyone to be making oh my anytime goodness. soon and i just about laugh myself silly watching it not just because the movie it's i mean it's it's the the same sort of thing you get in those films like um, scary movie scary movie too well no i was gonna say things like <laughs> valentine's day new year's day yeah, yeah those yeah. sorts of totally silly films that are like full of just cameos <laughs> wasn't, it new year's, wasn't it new year's eve 
New Year's Eve, New Year's Day. Did they didn't actually make Brown, New Year's Day, right? That's kind of the Labor, day, where Labor day, day, Arbor Day. Not a lot of that. <laughs> Whichever <laughs> holiday Gary Marshall's doing, I don't know. <laughs> okay. All right. But it's 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 a cameo or it's not a cameo film. It's a it's a uh, a film of short stories and it seems they're all kind of interwoven and tied together and you have just this crazy cast of characters and it's it's basically what Gary Mar Marshall will never go to. It, it takes it to like dark, just dirty levels, and it's really funny. Like the opening, the opening sequence. With, uh, just, what's her name? Anna Ferris. With Anna Ferris and her husband, um, her real life husband, as <laughs> she's sitting there in the park, say something romantic, and they say, "Okay, let's say it at the same time." One. Two, she's just I, like, I want you to want poop on you me. To poop on me. I'm sorry. What? <laughs> and that's that's it's, really that's the direction the, whole the trailers. Thing. That's where this movie's taking us. You know, so. I this is this this movie. I think the reason that this movie uh, that I'm kind of excited about this, and this is the Red Band trailer, so it is not <laughs> not approved for general audiences. Yes, it's, uh, a, it's on YouTube. People. It's on YouTube, and there's a there's a warning. You got to go through the warning. So it's uh, so we'll post the link to it in the in the show notes on the website. But uh, um, it's um, it, you know I think these kinds of movies get to a, a real sort of central thesis uh, that I believe that uh, deep inside uh, we are all the same. We are children in grown up <laughs> <Exactly>. bodies. <laughs> exactly. The fact that I can look at this and find humor it, it says that we're all just children. <laughs> Just and we still smile at poop jokes. I'm sorry. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. <laughs> so uh, good this, poop this jokes. Because I'll tell you, I I started watching uh, the Nutty Professor two Meet the Clumps, and let me tell you, that was not a poop joke friendly movie. <laughs> no, you know, because I mean, there there is a certain sensibility to the delivery of yeah. of a good poop joke. That's true. That's true. Yeah. But this one's, I mean, okay, it's directed by. A lot like some stars and just a whole bunch of like directors: Stephen Brill, Peter Farrelly, Will Graham, Stephen Carr, Griffin Dunn, James Duffy, Jonathan Van Tolliken, Elizabeth Banks, Patrick Forsberg, Brett Ratner, Rusty Cundiff, and James Gunn. All direct elements of this film, and it stars. This is the sort of film you don't expect to see most of these people. It's got Chloe Grace Moretz, Elizabeth Banks, Emma Stone, Kate Winslet. Gerard Butler, Hugh Jackman, Kristen Bell, Sean William Scott, Anna Ferris, Lee Schreiber, Richard Gere, Naomi Watts, Chris Pratt, Halle Berry, Leslie Bibb. I mean, the list goes on. <laughs> it's totally true. Uh, yeah. It is. And, and, you know, it's like those, that's the movie that, um, yeah, you just don't expect people like Hugh Jackman to make until you see them in it. Yeah. And then it makes total sense. And this is just, I'm just looking at the credit list. This is, I don't, I, I want to know what this story is. It has to be very funny. And I can't remember from the trailer, but Kristen Bell is playing Supergirl. Leslie Bibb is Wonder Woman. Justin Long is Robin. And Jason Sudeikis is Batman. Uma Thurman is Lois Lane. And Bobby Cannavale is Superman. <laughs> Jeez. Oh, my goodness. Oh, yeah. yeah it's okay. fun. So were were there any other on your uh, on your list to talk about any of the trailers besides those three? Uh, I think that's it. I think that's it. Yeah. yeah. 
Those are the big ones. There, this is it's sort of trailer season. Uh, there have yeah, been a lot of trailers. Good ones, did, yeah, but... yeah. The new uh, Skyfall, yeah, song trailer came out, and you know it's with the Dell's song playing. It'll be nice to uh, to see how that works out. I, Bond songs are kind of a hit or miss, but and, you know, this is, is it catchy? I haven't I haven't actually listened to it. Is it an earworm? I, I've only heard the bit in the trailer, which is a short version. I'm like, oh, that's not too bad. And and my wife said, oh, you haven't heard it on the radio. It just goes on and on and on and on. So is that, is that your wife disparaging Adele? <laughs> yes. That's weird to me. Who she likes. But that's right. Only... She's supposed to. She's like a. It, would it? She's like a. You know. A, a why <laughs> wives dig Adele? That's what I've heard. I don't want to say. Uh, you know. That's mine. Does. Just a wife thing. Yeah. Huh. I don't don't even know what to say about that. I don't either. Happy Halloween month. Yeah. Yeah. How do you how do you how do you feel about it? Have you seen any other horror movies besides what we're talking about tonight and what we talked about last night? Anything else creeping up on you? I haven't seen any other horror movies, but I have finally started watching Walking Dead season two. Oh God. So, and I'm quite enjoying it. This is going to be another painful one, though. I'm going to, this is going to be painful because I'm going to start watching season three on Sunday. I, I know. <laughs> and I've got to wait a whole year. Oh, curse it. God. Oh, I, no. might, I might break down and have to buy you season three on iTunes just so I can <laughs> talk to you about it. Because once I buy it for you, it doesn't even matter if you watched it. I, it's like buying a ticket to be able to talk to you about it and completely <laughs> spoil the hell out of it That's right. for you just because right. I bought it. That's that's so horrible of you. I'm it's getting, horrible yet nice. I, I didn't uh, even. I know it's it's a what do you call that? There's a you know it's like a compla slam, but uh, or or a explano brag or a, you know what I'm talking about? It's it's one of those things. It's a uh, it's a uh, has to do with gifting. You know, would have a good word for this, Sarmento. Yeah. Okay. So we'll leave it up to Sarmento to come up yeah. with a word for that. We've already come up with like three or four great cinematic dictionary gems tonight. So this one's on Sarmento. I can't. I, I think. Uh, or anyone are, else listening to us, when, send us your word. When are you going to work on the uh, on the uh, three part video essay uh, explaining the Prometheus effect <laughs> and its role in cinema? Are you going to take care of that one? I'll take care of Dread. Uh, the Dread uh, effect. Yeah. And then and then we'll together work on the Hopkins. Yeah. <laughs> don't get good. don't get Hopkins. <laughs> okay uh all right so uh this is uh do we have any other announcements to make i don't think so unless you want to get get all the yeah let's do that the end out of the way at the beginning let's get it all out of the way you go first so people can find me at soda creek film over on twitter or facebook and always at rashpixel.tv slash mwl indeed and i am uh, at pete wright and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just making sure at Peter Wright on the Twitter, which is, uh, always a good place to find me and, uh, certainly would love to interact with you there. Uh, I am also, uh, at, uh, obviously on the website, rashpixel.tv slash MWL, uh, definitely, uh, head over there and join us. Um, and, uh, you know, if you get a chance and you head over to, uh, to subscribe to us in iTunes or your favorite podcatcher, particularly in iTunes, if you could leave us a kind, uh, you know, five-star ratings help. They are very nice. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we've hit 50 episodes. I think this is actually episode 51. Can you believe we've been doing that this long? I can't. That's, that's exciting. It's very exciting. Does to that hear. mean, that means next week is our anniversary, technically? Uh, I, 
I think 52? close to it. Yeah. We're we're right about there. Aren't I'm going to I'm going to tell you. Okay, so episode 1 was Oh, no, no, no. How I don't even understand well, how this works. Did we take a couple of weeks off? Is that it? We're we're over because um because I mean if you if you do one per week we're over because we had the uh, Google Hangouts in there and we had well the no extra I count those Oscar episodes and stuff well I guess that's right I the numbers though I count those separately we the first episode the first regular episode that we did was November tenth two thousand eleven with Raiders of the Lost Ark so we're we're we still got a couple weeks out to our our official year annual mm-hmm. anniversary we're really gonna blow it out. <laughs> Blow it out. That's right. But to this month is Halloween month, and we are celebrating by doing a whole month of our very favorite horror movies. And last week we uh, we started with the um, uh, the thing, mm-hmm. which was uh, which was Andy's first pick, and this week uh, we are hitting uh, my first pick, which is uh, Danny Boyle's two thousand two zombie hit cult hit 28 days later that's right is do you call, do you say 2002 or 2003 because i mean 2002 in the uk 2003 in the states but yeah i you know i say 2002 because that's when the movie was gifted to the universe <laughs> that's when it was birthed that was that's when it was birthed and it didn't actually spread i like to say it spread to the u.s <laughs> it finally so would reached... that be like my release date in the in the u.s <laughs> was one year and then when i visited another country that's when i finally was released over there <laughs> that's exactly <laughs> oh my goodness i get released into canada every few years it's a re-release <laughs> it's a re-release uh yes yes no and so i i think that that was a uh i i say 2002 because that's just you know the way i was raised and more power to you. Yeah. Uh, so November 2002, it hit uh, June 27th, 2003, uh, directed by Danny Boyle, uh, written by Alex Garland, uh, starring uh, the... What is what is with this guy? Why is he so magnetic for me? Killian Murphy. Uh, I You know, I look at him, I watch him act, and I think, man, uh, he's... He is either like the most interesting cardboard box I've ever seen or I've totally uh, like lost my <laughs> sense of, of acting perspective. And yet I'm totally drawn to him. Uh-huh. Like he's he's like a dude I'd like to go have a beer with. Yeah. Uh, and I felt the same way uh, about him in Batman. Um, you know, and mostly he was wearing that horrible uh, that horrible mask. Uh, but you know, you know, he, he's an interesting guy and very he's, interesting. He's, guy. he's somebody who's, uh, he always seems kind of like a supporting or a character actor, uh, to me, but every now and then he just kind of pops up in something that really surprises me. Like, um, like this, like 28 days later, mm-hmm. um, it, you know, it just, it was a great surprise seeing him this. And I'm trying to think if I had actually seen him in anything, before this, I don't know if I had. I think this may have been my first experience, which was Danny Boyle's intention. He was trying to find people who weren't as familiar at the box office to give it um, kind of a more realistic feel. Yes, that's what he was going for, a realistic feel. No. You know what I mean. I do. I do. I. I just. Uh, you know. I. It, the other. I'm. I am actually looking through uh, Killian uh, Murphy's other films. After that, I didn't see. Let's see. Uh, you know. Two, so 2002, 2003, 28 days later, and then uh, Zonad, uh, 
Intermission. I didn't see Girl with the Pearl Earring. That was a great film. Uh, Cold Mountain. Uh, and then uh, and then the then giant Batman uh, Batman Begins. Yeah, and Red Eye, where he played Jackson Ripner. <laughs> right, <laughs> right. Uh, which which you know, I mean, I I I had an okay time on Red Eye. I enjoyed Red Eye. Yeah, it was it was a film you enjoy for what it is. Not not as much as I enjoyed Sunshine. No, uh, which I thought was a terrific film. And then uh, obviously he keep, keeps coming back in the Dark Knight movies and just these little pieces. Uh, and then, you know, what? Inception. Inception, yeah. That's the next big one. But, but in all of these movies, there's that same sort of feel. And, uh, and I don't, I'm not sure that he's, uh, he's gotten back that kind of, um, confused magnetic ruggedness that he carried in this movie as Jim. Uh, yeah. 28 Days Later. I thought he was a terrific lead. So the whole concept of 28 Days Later and why I love this movie so much. It's yeah, a, tell us. I it know. is, it is a, uh, you know, it's a, uh, I I call it a zombie movie. It's it's you know it's kind of a, a zombie movie. It's kind of non traditional. It's more of a sort of post apocalyptic kind of destruction movie, uh, 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 it, where we're we're looking at a uh, a disease that is uh, you know it's uh, let out by some some animal rights activists who are trying you know some do gooders who are who are trying to to rock the system by freeing some monkeys and the monkeys have been infected by this this disease they call rage and uh the monkey bites the girl the girl bites the doctor well you know it all kind of uh, spirals downhill from there and actually in- i think she vomits blood in his face yeah <laughs> yes accurate. okay if you're going to be accurate you're right uh <laughs> and and everybody knows at this point already i'm sure the doctors already know that that vomiting blood is overkill because it really does they're they're none too clear it is really <laughs> only takes a drop that's to right. spread and infect, and and you once you are infected, it takes uh, t- ten to twenty seconds to actually become, uh, you know, a uh, slobbering monster. Yeah, to infect you with the virus. To infect you. With it's the like virus. contagion. Yes, <laughs> it's contagion with that added sort of chase element. Contagion with a chase. Right. And right. Uh, they and just don't die. They, they just. <laughs> yeah, they don't melt. They, uh, you know, they 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 come charging after you and and so you know i found myself i i love the way this movie starts uh and and since then you know i mean really um you know zombie movies have have and and the whole zombie kind of gestalt if you look at sort of zombie uh fiction you know there are a lot of guy wakes up in a hospital stories right Mm -hmm. and and this is one of them um he wakes up in this hospital and the hospital is totally empty uh, and he is, you know, um, uh, he's wandering around. He says, hello, hello, where are you? Find some scrubs. He, he covers up his junk and, and, uh, uh, starts walking the halls. And there is, I, I think this fantastic sort of feeling that they managed to capture in, in, you know, showing him walking through London, uh, it having been totally evacuated and destroyed. Uh, yeah. and, and I think that was, that was really special. I mean, from the sort of production uh, notes, just hearing how, you know, Boyle and his team had, you know, minutes at a time to capture these sequences of, of, um, you know, Jim walking through London, uh, you know, overturning the bus and, and having him walk through the bus in, uh, by the bus in, in, you know, 20 minutes that they had to close the streets of, of right. London in that intersection. I mean, there was just some really cool, uh, guerrilla sort of filmmaking. Uh, I, I love what the film captures in that sequence. And he goes into the, um, you know, the broken down uh, uh, church. The church. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
And this is where I think the, you know, the big twist comes, which is, you know, he, he finds some of the infected. And yeah, because up to this point, and I mean, it, you know, London was was barren, like there was not yeah. a, a soul to be seen. There wasn't a dead body anywhere. Right, right. Completely nope. empty of any form of life. Right. Or death, right? I mean, or he hadn't, death. He yeah, hadn't exactly. seen any bodies. He hadn't seen any decay. He hadn't seen any of that. Uh, and, and so then he goes into this church and the church is, uh, filled with, with, uh, bodies. And there are some, you know, he runs into some, some kind infected who, you know, are curious about him, including the, uh, the, uh, the priest. The pastor, yeah. Right. And at this point we're introduced to the big twist on this genre of film. And mm -hmm. that is that these zombies can move. And they truck, man. And I don't remember having seen a film uh, that was that that was executed quite like this, uh, where a chase was really a chase. And since then, this the, you know that's kind of become the norm. Um, you know, there are a few of the of the mindless uh, mobs uh, that are just lumbering across the field anymore. Uh, you know, now when you're running from a zombie, you're really running. Yeah. And and this is the movie that kind of changed our cultural expectation of zombies. And it did because you're right. I mean, I don't yeah, there had never been a fast zombie. Every zombie we'd ever seen and I think a lot of it is it comes from the nature of zombie which is, you know, the undead, you know, a dead body is returned to life. And so for whatever reason they're just they're, you know, they've come out of the grave and so they kind of are slow. They're they're dead and so they don't move very fast. And I think they use the advantage of this, not necessarily being a zombie in the traditional sense, but a zombie because this person has been infected with this virus that essentially destroys their being and, and their soul or whatever you want to call it. It makes them a non-human anymore and just like this rage-filled monster that has no drive except to run around and destroy things and eat things. And because of that, they they retain all of the humanness about them as far as their physicalness i mean they're not dead they're actually still alive it's just now they want to kill and so it's it's a great way to take that change in the in the, what they're doing with the zombie story and giving it this this thing that we've never seen before and it was very exciting and it was very new and unique and it's definitely been um used since i mean in the next movie we're going to be talking about the the uh, dawn of the dead remake Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And uh, and it really did change the face of you know kind of what people expect in their zombie films. You know the uh, in terms of the kind of genesis of 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 you know zombie, uh, it, it, there there's always this sort of sense of the the mindlessness that comes from kind of hypnosis. You know that is there's some sort of mystical uh, reanimation of the corpse and and uh, uh, you know there was that what was that uh, that great movie uh, the uh, rainbow. Serpent and oh, Rainbow. Serpent and the Rainbow. Ooh, yeah. Uh, that was a, t a terrific example of, you know, the the uh, doctor going down to Haiti where, you know, the, and, and really this is kind of a West African kind of a Haitian um, uh, genesis, the whole, the whole zombie mythology. And, mm -hmm. and so he goes down to, to Haiti to, to check on this, uh, you know, the reanimated corpse uh, rumors and, and 
and kind of uncover the the zombie mystique that's going on down in uh, in in Haiti and and that's kind of what we come to uh, believe that there's a lack of sort of worldly awareness but a mystical awareness that co- and and sort of a one uh, or single-minded drive to and in you know starting with Romero's Night of the Living Dead um the it, it drive to eat and I think what's so interesting about Boyle's interpretation of the of the zombie mythology is that uh, I I just get the feeling that that you know what what the zombie masses represent and the is uh, is sort of the the cultural um, the the speed at which uh, you know messages and and hate kind of spread in our culture. If it's mm-hmm. unchecked, right? If it's unbalanced, and and he opens the film, the the you know you with you, you sort of think I think the opening credits are really interesting because you you, you get the feeling that you're watching this, um, uh, you you're close up on this interlaced these images of just real rage, real civil rage. You know, you have uh, you know it's riots in the street and just beating people who are tied up, people beating people, people hurting people. I mean, it's just images of of real destruction and yeah, the like camera supposed news footage yeah so it's stuff. news footage right it's supposed news footage and and the camera pulls back and it you see that you are actually um kind of from the perspective of uh a chimp that is tied up uh you know arms out to its side uh sort of crucified um uh, symbolically crucified on a on a medical table being forced to watch these horrible uh, images and that sort of sets it off you know, sets off the whole tone of the movie when you're where you are, you're watching the these images of hate. And then you watch what happens when in in Boyle's eyes, when those messages and those images take off uh, unmeasured, unmetered. Uh, and and so the movie, the first half of the movie, I think, is a um, is is sort of a, a parable for, uh, you know, what happens when we let uh, when we we let ourselves be poisoned by um kind of these these cultural malcontents and these messages that are unhealthy yeah and i i think he he plays that through the device of the rage infested uh, zombie uh and and we have innocent sort of dumb jim kind of traipsing around this uh traipsing around the countryside trying to figure out which end is up uh and then he meets up with a couple of uh, a, a couple of his saviors um and and that leads us that that sort of second act leads us uh, is, is sort of transformational where we meet uh, you know we meet his um, uh, his quote girlfriend right uh, Selena uh, Selena and we meet Frank and his daughter and uh, and Frank and his daughter have been holed up in a, in a high in a in a tower <laughs> high high in a tower uh, <laughs> above the uh, disintegrated uh, city. And uh, and so once the four of them get together, they go on this journey to try to find uh, civilization that has somehow eluded them. Right. Am I on the right track so far? Yeah, I think you're doing a great job. I don't want to totally monopolize this, but I think the most interesting part really then becomes the transition into the sec or to the third act, where they actually find civilization. And uh, the the civilization. Go ahead. What are you going to say? No, you go. All right. The civilization that they find I'm using I'm heavily using air quotes here. Okay. Uh is is this uh this kind of broken down military um uh unit, I think seven or eight guys, uh 
men. I should say they are all men, and they are holed up in a giant uh, mansion in the countryside, and they have completely fortified the place. And so they bring uh, Jim and the girls. At this point, Frank has been infected by a single drop of blood. Mm -hmm. Hitchcock's gun on the mantle was actually used. That's right, uh, and uh, and and so Frank is infected and and was killed by these military by these soldiers. The soldiers take the three remaining uh, uninfected and take them into their camp. And what is what has happened to these guys? Uh, I think with this, the whole third act is sort of dedicated to this examination of what happens when um, you know desperation meets the opportunity for redemption or resurrection i should say yeah and it's 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 very interesting you know when i first saw this i really felt let down by the third act i felt like they uh they took it in a direction that was kind of out of left field and i felt like they kind of lost track with the story and i i wasn't as fond of that third act and just in rewatching it the last couple times, I'm 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 finding myself enjoying that third act more and more because of what they're saying about you know you know who's the monster here who's who's the one who's the who has the rage and I mean the the head of the military there uh, played by Christopher Eccleston I mean he himself says it it's less like I've seen what have I been seeing these past four weeks is people killing f- people. And that was the exact same thing I was seeing the four weeks before the infection and the four weeks before that and the four weeks before that and on and on. And, you know, so from that perspective, it's it's an it's you can see how people would have that mentality and you can see how they've kind of turned to this this military camp into kind of this Lord of the Flies type of thing. And it's it's kind of creepy because, yeah, it's like who is who's really the monster here? How does how does society um, find a way to lift itself up when even the the worst of those who aren't infected is just is coming out because of all of the horrors? And I, I found it much more interesting these last, uh, you know, this time, particularly when I watched it in the last couple times, I still I still do feel like it kind of comes out less field. Like if you're looking at the script and the structure of the story and how it's built, it does kind of feel um, a little awkward getting into that type of story. But that being said, I think it's such an interesting examination of the human psyche. And I find myself kind of forgiving any thoughts I have about that change of the tone for the third act. And I just find myself really enjoying that kind of psychological study. You know, I'm, I'm absolutely with you. And I remember when I suggested this movie, we were in an email exchange and I think I, I emailed to you that I was really interested to 28 days later. And I think over email, I heard you sigh. (laughs) And I, you know, I, I don't know what I, uh, what I was to make of that, but I was determined to hold my ground because, uh, I, I wanted to hear that, that you had, had sort of forgiven the movie for, for its act three, because I think you're right that it's interesting that you, you almost get this, uh, act one and act two could stand, uh, you know, could stand alone. I mean, really the scene at the, at the, the bunker, uh, you know, Frank gets the, the drop of, the, the drop of blood in his eye from the infected that's hanging on the, uh, you know, with the crow above him hanging on the, the scaffolding above. And that is, uh, you know, watching Hannah watch her dad get killed 
could very well have been the climax to sort of a, a short film. Yeah, yeah, it could have been a very dark film. Yeah, I mean, there's not a whole lot, of, you know, but then then they go off and, and, and ride off into the, you know, into the dark and gloomy infested um, countryside. Yeah, and then and this... we'll have to talk about the all the different alternate endings that either were shot or not shot for this film because I don't yeah. think any of them really go down the more uplifting trail that the existing film went down. Fascinatingly, I think the way the existing film ends, it's it is absolutely an uplifting film. Yeah, uh, and I think there right. were uh, what is it, two or three dozen uh, other endings that he shot and. And that they just rotated through them, as far as I understand. Well, that's not, that's not I, I true. I don't know if they rotated through them. They had another ending that they played. They started playing like a, a month after its release. They they tacked it onto the end of the credits, yeah. just as kind of a little special feature sort of thing to try drawing more people to come see come see the the original ending sort of thing. You know, have you uh, have you seen the alternate endings? I've seen the ones that were shot. I didn't, there, there were two that were shot and then there was one that was just storyboarded out that they never shot. The, the, the basic ver the first ver um, picks up after Jim gets shot. They rush him to the hospital. Um, and we, which we kind of see in those quick little shots in the existing ending. Um, but they rush him to the hospital. She's trying to save him and Jim dies. <laughs> And we see the two girls both take their guns and walk out of the hospital. And uh, it was just a real downer of an ending. Mm -hmm. um, you know, they, they were really trying to find a way to tie Jim being in the bed at the beginning of the film and Jim being at the bed at the end of the film. And I think they were looking for that motif there, but it just kept leaving this really downer ending. And then the second ending was just basically of that ending where we because it was going to end right as the girls walk, walk down the hospital hallway. Then they made a tack on ending for that. That was still a little more up, uplifting, but it was the two girls out basically at the cottage getting rescued by the plane or seen by the plane and all that without Jim. Right. And so they're trying to make it a little more uplifting, but there's still no Jim and he's kind of who are following through this whole film. So it's, you know, it's like your protagonist is dead. It, it doesn't help. <laughs> Well, and then the, the the one that was storyboarded was, and it was that was wait a minute was that the one you were just talking about where he was going to give a transfusion? Yeah, that no, that's that's a totally different one that never yeah, involves that, the military, right? And so that was that like it was an alternate ending that starts in the begin in the middle. It starts as soon as they arrive at the bunker, yeah, or, or the blockade, I guess. Yes, uh, and, and, and 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 Frank gets infected. The drop of blood gets in his eye, and they're able to catch him. Somehow they tie him down or something, and that they first keep pushing forward, seconds. and they find a hospital, which happens to be the same medical facility at the very beginning of the film that had all the chimps. And there's a, a doctor inside there who they convinced to you know help. He says there is a cure. You have to do a complete blood transfusion, and Jim happens to be the same blood type as as Frank, and so he offers himself. He does a complete transfusion, so he's now infected, and Frank is is better so no matter how you slice it jim dies yes i prefer this one i do too i mean really i mean i you know that's i don't know how i i'm actually trying to kind of rack my brain for the the movie a lot of times i see the alternate endings and i think oh you know i could go either way yeah this one i really don't like any of those i needed jim to live 
Well, it's, you know, and I think they realized that because this is a journey. You know, we're on this journey with Jim who wakes up completely unaware that anything has happened. And then we're on this learning journey with him to discover what's been going on and to really kind of get a sense as to the evils of mankind, right? And, and, and how to break through that. And if we don't see him break through that at the end, it's just like a complete failure of, of this journey that we've just been on with him for nearly two hours. And it's, yeah, it just, it's, it's not how I, I don't think it's how the story should have ended. So I think they made the right choice by going with this more positive ending. Yeah, I do too. I mean, it's those, those fish out of water stories really are only, uh, they're, they're only made more powerful when you actually see the fish, you know, learn to control the new environment. And, and that's what we see, I think at the end when we see, uh, you know, we see Jim and, and Hannah and Selena, uh, just sort of in life, looking yeah. for help, but they're, you know, they're, they're living. And not only are they living, but I liked the difference that um, Danny Boyle decided to do as far as how he shot it. The whole film is shot on DV, so it's got that kind of grainy video look to it all the way through. But at the end, once they're at this, this cottage out in this beautiful, just lush uh, English countryside, Everything at the end is all shot on 35 millimeter film. It's just got this gorgeous look to it. After watching DV footage for for an hour and 45 minutes, it's very refreshing, and you just feel like cleansed almost watching this beautiful footage on 35 millimeter. And the ending just just uh, with all the hope and everything, it just that adds to that great feeling at the end. That is a really great point and i i can't believe it as many times as i've seen this movie but i never made that connection um that there was a change in film yeah when does it actually happen when we're flying through the countryside or when we hit the yeah. house no it starts it starts as we pick up after they crash through the gate and you get that freeze frame we see a couple quick flashes as soon as we're done with those flashes and we're into the helicopter shot of the countryside, we're in 35 millimeter. I'll be damned. That's great. Okay. See, the reason I think that's so interesting is because I, the, um, the, uh, oh, so this is after the, the 28 days later splash. Okay. No, I see. I see what you mean. There are a couple of quick shots and we see Selena, uh, uh, bringing him back to life. After right. he's being been shot, so he's in the hospital. That's still on DV, and then when he wakes right. up, his the close up on his eyes. Now we're in film. Correct. God, that's amazing. I'm never going to watch this the same way again. <laughs> so the whole reason, I, so you know, I the reason I find that interesting is because everything that this movie made a splash because it was shot on DV. Yeah. Um, because this was you know in 2002 we're still you know very much in a transition into digital, and uh, he. Uh, and and uh, so much had been made of the guerrilla aspect of this movie that it was very difficult to shoot in uh, to bring a large film crew and all of the supporting equipment and the supporting uh, you know staff that was required for in, in London and uh, to do so much of what what Boyle wanted to do and they just made it so much more of a guerrilla style shoot by um, you know by arming the camera team with these DV cameras and just running in, shooting what they need to shoot and then running out again. Exactly. Like they would close, like we're, what you're talking about earlier, they would close an intersection. They'd have like 90 seconds 
They the cops would stop traffic for 90 seconds. They'd have Jim wander through, say hello, and look around at the emptiness, and then you know they'd call cut, and all the traffic would be released. Right. So <laughs> so amazing. It is amazing. And so here we have this. You know, there's a real sort of logistical kind of a strategic reason to shoot on DV because these little cannon. What are they? The, what what they use the XL ones. Uh, yeah. Does it say in here what they use? Yeah, they shot on Canon XL ones. Um. So there's a strategic use, but what do you think that? I, I mean, what do you think? Just the, you know, talk a little bit more about the impact. Do you think that the the tone of the film, sort of the high, kind of man, just blown out highlights, and and just the the uh, kind of well, just that's the general visual tone of the of the um, of of the those that DV brings to the screen for this well well i think you know i mean it gives it that sense i mean people are so used to seeing that kind of video look because of the rise of of everybody having their own little cameras to shoot their own personal stuff and so it has that sort of feel of and that's what i was saying you know it, it kind of keeping it real and that's why it wouldn't have worked so well with like um what's a a big British actor like, you know, Daniel Craig walking through the streets. We, it, we wouldn't have bought it so well because he is in our minds, such like kind of like a big actor, a big movie star. Whereas Killian Murphy really is a, kind of this, you know, character actor. And so he's a face that feels fresh. And so we feel this story has a much more real sense about it rather than, Oh, it's just a big Hollywood spectacle. Of course, Hollywood can just stop all the traffic, and and it takes that believability away from it because it just it would have seemed so um, so typical, or or oh, they just did it with digital effects or whatever, you know. And so doing it this way, and and maybe I'm I'm thinking a little too far ahead of 2001 when they were shooting this, but I mean they still certainly had digital effects to do that sort of thing. But I, I think that's what it lends to the film. And, and if you look at other films of the horror genre that are shot on this sort of in this you know type of stock, um, it, it, they tend to be kind of like the, the first person camera sort of ones where somebody's following things that are happening and following the events. And it, it gives it that sense that we're right there in the action with real people experiencing a real horror um, as they're experiencing it. And I think that's why it works so well uh, in my mind at, at any rate. Well, and you know, I, that's, that was one of the sort of questions that I had floating around in my head was just how did, because the, you know, here we have, you know, Danny Boyle and what he brings to, you know, just filmmaking. Mm-hmm. And, uh, we have a, a great, horror story that picked up a lot of uh it picked up a lot of steam even though it wasn't expected to do a whole lot um and and i i think was not a huge hit in the uk uh far less of a hit in the uk than it was in the u.s i think if i remember right uh but you can check me on that but the the real question is how much did the style of filming uh that that we see here um in 28 days later affect the style and tone of found footage, the genre, right? Because up to 2002, we had the Blair Witch Project, which had a very similar look, um, although even more sort of frenetic. Um, but few had reached any, few films had reached any sort of uh, popularity, right? Yeah, right. And and after 
2002, the list is long of found footage films from around the world. Yeah. Well, I think what happened is people saw what you could do with a simple camera and a, a small budget and you could tell a very effective horror story. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that's, and I, I honestly haven't really looked into if this is the film that really kind of gave birth to, to um, a, a big growth in the, uh, the found footage. I mean, obviously Blair Witch had a huge part in that, but Blair Witch also has shot some on 16 millimeter. It kind of um, did both because those kids were making that documentary. Um, this one, I mean, it was made for a very modest budget. I think it was uh, 5 million pounds, which I think at the time was about, what did I see the budget? It was like about $8 million. And that's a, it's a pretty small budget when you're looking at a film that has, you know, piles of wrecked cars. It has these, you know, crazy people running through the streets. You've got, you're shutting down streets and highways in a major metropolitan city. And, uh, you know, it's, it's uh, lots of effects. I mean, it's by, by taking the camera down to something that's uh, simple and quick, you're able to get through a production schedule in a much faster period of time. And you're able to actually make a really effective film. And I think what people took from that is I can do it too. And they started coming up with all these stories to do. Now you still have to have a good script and that's, that's what it always ends up boiling down to. And uh, I, I think we've certainly seen our share of ones that, that don't have good scripts. But the ones that do have the good scripts and they, they use this style that Danny Boyle did so well in this film, I mean, it's, they're very effective films. Yeah, I mean, I, I think not to be underscored, I feel like you're, you uh, you know, made this point maybe less delicately. I, I think they, you know, when you take your camera to or your, your, your cameras to this to to dv you cut costs on every uh every stage of the production yeah right the cameras themselves are ridiculously cheap there is no film processing uh and you and you know you begin editing immediately yeah uh on pcs you don't you (laughs) also don't have to worry so much about doing take after take after take exactly keep doing takes um, you can keep the thing rolling. I mean, it's so cheap. Right, right. And I think that was a lesson that everybody was still just sort of waking up to in 2002. I'm, I'm, it's all a little bit foggy, uh, <laughs> my memory, my memory of it. But uh, <clears throat> so, in, in any case, I, uh, the talking about the script. Yeah. Uh, really, really interesting script. Alex Garland. Now, why we love uh, Alex Garland. I didn't realize how I, how much I loved Alex Garland uh, until I realized that not only did he write 28 Days Later, he also wrote Sunshine uh, and Dread. I know. Unreal. <laughs> I guess that's why. I Boy, that's is he why. number one with a bullet on my best friend's list all of a sudden. <laughs> that's fantastic. Yeah, and, and he actually wrote uh, an adaptation for the Halo video game that... Uh, that uh, it was rewritten by other people and it still is in development hell. But um, yeah, he's he's definitely a uh, somebody to uh, be reckoned with. So what do you think? How does it? I haven't seen Dread yet. How does uh, Twenty Eight Days Later compare? 
like I said, Dread was a big surprise for me. I really enjoyed it. And I never thought I would. So, I mean, I think he knows how to write well. I, I think he's a, a person. I, and he also wrote The Beach, which was his novel, um, which I, I didn't like the movie version. I actually haven't read the book, so I can't talk to that. Um, the movie wasn't horrible. It was another Danny Boyle film. But um, it was uh, uh, something else that he wrote. And it's an interesting story. But I think... Boy, I tell you, I think twenty eight. Well, this was the the is, Leo, uh, right? Pretty sharp, pretty this sharp was script. DiCaprio, right? Is that the one we're yes. talking about? Yep. Tilda Swinton. I had, uh, yeah, I hadn't made that connection. So he did. He didn't write the script of that, though, or did he? I believe he did. I believe he did. I think he wrote the. Well, let me look now. I got to check check it's, that before I commit. But um, he definitely uh, wrote the book. And let's see if he wrote the. Well, I'll look. Yeah, but, no. Yeah, uh, I mean, he's he's a great writer. He hasn't written a lot of stuff, and I think he's only written about three novels or so: um, the Beach, the Tesseract, and the Coma. And the Tesseract also was uh, made into a film. The Coma was published and was illustrated with woodcuts by his father, which wow. I thought was kind of interesting. The Beach was written by John Hodge. Uh, oh, who that's also right. wrote uh, Train Spotting. That's right. Yeah. Uh, yeah, The Beach was an interesting one. I actually found myself, uh, I, I was surprised at how much I actually liked that film. I did like that film a lot. I found myself wanting to go visit that location more than I wanted to watch <laughs> the movie again. I just was like so taken by that gorgeous beach. Yes. Which I guess was the point. <laughs> yes, I think that was the point. Oh, wow. uh, yes. So, uh, but yeah, Alex Garland, uh, um, he's a, he's a great writer and, and, you know, after being very pleasantly surprised by dread, I certainly look forward to seeing more of his stuff. Uh, okay. So we've talked a little bit about, um, about the great Killian Murphy in this film, uh, other performances that stand out to you. Well, we got to mention Naomi Harris, um, who's great, I think as Selena and she's going to be a Bond girl now. She's, uh, she's in Skyfall. I know she's she's arrived. I guess is that what you're saying? Well, she was she was in she was Calypso in the last two part. Well, the second yeah. and third parts of the Caribbean movies. So she's she did uh, not you know, look the same. She's she's got uh, got her name out there. I'd say. Um, yeah, she did. I think she did a, a terrific job in this film, and and uh, uh, it, it was tough, and and yet you, you know I think tough and and. Uh, uh, delivers just the right sense of kind of civil panic when she realizes she's you know she and hannah have been essentially kidnapped into as sex slaves to repopulate the species yeah uh and and i think that's a that that whole climax at the end was really uh terrifying and frenetic And, and it's not even to repopulate the species i mean it's just to give these guys you know kind of hope i guess is what he says that I mean, I guess I guess it is to repopulate species. Yeah. They don't come out and say it. It's really just more so these guys don't feel so like there's no point to anything anymore. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, I, in the the speech where the the you know the sergeant is talking to Jim, he says, you know, the guy I, I found the I found my guy over there with a gun in his mouth, and and yeah. you know because we're a bunch of men, what are mm-hmm. we going to do? Just wait here and die? I promised them women. Yeah, and and I think the insinuation there is enough. Yeah. Uh, for me at least that that that's you know now we have women um 
it's horrifying. It, it is it is horrifying. Um, so she was she I think had a standout performance. I particularly uh, fond of Brendan Gleeson. Oh, uh, he's always great. Yeah, who is great. Uh, absolutely terrific in this film as as uh, you know the dad, um, and uh, uh, you know he's he is uh, we know him well as as Mad Eye Moody uh, from the Harry Potter series, but he has done uh, so much. Um, Oh, he's great so, in the general. So I don't know stuff. if you ever saw that, but yeah, that's a that's quite the performance in that one. Yes, absolutely. Um, uh, gosh, no, he's all over the place. Yeah. Uh, Winston Churchill. Uh, yep. played Winston Churchill in Into the Storm. He's fantastic, and and obviously in Bruges, which is one of uh, one of uh, my uh, very favorites. I love that movie. Yeah, Gangs in Gangs of New York, but you know, Gangs of New York is not one of my favorite movies. Not one of mine either. Yeah. Anyhow. Uh, so who else do you want to talk about in this film? Young well, I Hannah mentioned, was I mentioned good. Christopher Eccleston, who yes. I think is great. Um, his role is just, it's, it's very creepy in this. Um, some people, I believe probably think of him as one of the many iterations of Dr. Who. Um, I don't cause I don't watch that show, but, um, uh, but he's worked with Danny Boyle a couple times. He started with Danny Boyle in Shallow Grave, which I thought was a, just a fantastic film. And, you know, he pops up. He's one of those people who I, I never, like, he's never leading anything as far as I can tell, but he just pops up randomly in things, and I'm always pleasantly surprised. Like, he popped up um, in The Others, and I, that really creeped me out when he was in that. Yeah. Well, and then, so he goes from sort of Shallow Grave to The Others to G.I. Joe, The Rise right. of Cobra, and right. Malaketh the Accursed in the upcoming sequel to Thor, Thor the Dark World. Ah, uh, yeah. I mean, all over yeah. the place. He's one of those guys. He is one of those guys. He's a terrific actor, terrific actor. And this was, uh, gosh, this was a great, a great role for him too. Yeah, uh, it's just it's creepy because it's almost like he can. It's almost at the end when he's talking to Jim and that speech we talked about, where he says, "You know, I, I promised them women." It's almost like he can tell that it's not really the right thing to do, but. But he's kind of, you know, sold his soul to the devil and he's going down that road, you know? Mm-hmm. Absolutely. A, yeah. It's pretty, pretty creepy. Yeah. I sold his soul to the devil. And then the devil pulls him out of the back window of a car. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> How's your devil now? <laughs> uh, terrific. Uh, so this film, um, gosh, this film, as you said, it was it, it was made for five million pounds. What did you say it was? Uh, US? It's about eight million dollars. Eight million dollars. Boy, those were the days, huh? Ah, uh, yes, 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 yes. Uh, and uh, what I see here is uh, eighty-two million uh, box office uh, gross. I guess that's global. Yeah, that's global that's box dollars. office gross. It actually um, domestic in the U.S. It ended up grossing about I think about forty-five million worldwide about um 82 83 million now interestingly enough the production budget was about 8 million dollars but the actual total budget was about 25 million dollars so um the studio really put a lot of money into marketing this uh, fox searchlight really just kind of pumped trailers out and just a lot of marketing material to try to sell this thing and it worked i mean it made a good chunk of money for them mhm yeah, it, it worked. I think it was a. It seems like it was a surprise to a lot of people uh, that this movie did what it did, and is still. I think, um, boy, it just holds up. Well, and the uh, critics loved it too. Everyone, yeah. it was such a fresh take on on zombie films, and I think everybody just kind of 
felt like, ah, oh, this is something new. It's something I haven't seen before. And it just, it, I mean, it spawned a sequel, um, a comic book. It spawned a, um, what was the other thing? It was like a, a, a book or something, a graphic novel but that took place between when 28 Days Later ends and when 28 Weeks Later begins. The uh, it, yeah, it has. I mean, talk about a, a. This is one of those that spawned a universe. Yeah, uh, I think in a. It is a really interesting thing. The sequel, you know, we're we're likely not going to cover the sequel at least anytime soon. Maybe next Halloween. I don't know. Uh, it, it's not one of my favorites, but uh, the yeah. you know they bring in uh, you know performances from Robert Carlyle and Rose Byrne, and of note, since we have talked about him, you know, recently Jeremy Renner, right. and. Uh, um, it's you know it's an interesting take on uh, it, what I like about the 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 two films is is where they pick up in the overall gestation of this virus right or of this yeah. this disease right you know the first film is dealing with the the kind of initial discovery of it and as it wipes out the entire country uh, and the second is trying to repopulate uh, and and invite everybody back into downtown and and I think it's an interesting. Uh, it's an interesting take and interesting positioning on the on you know the the story but it it almost is too big for itself what what i think is so wonderful about 28 days later is it's it's so intimate that i think is what's so scary about it yeah. and 28 weeks later takes it to a scale that makes it it it's no longer intimate it's no longer uh um you know that that level of sort of frenetic you know in your face Everything's too big. Well, yeah, and it's, um, I was listening, who was I listening to? I can't remember who was talking about it, but um, a comparison of, um, there was a film, The Collector, that came out a few years ago, and now the sequel is coming out this year called The Collection. And the first one is about a guy, a thief, actually, who ends up getting, you know, go, breaks into a house to burgle it, and then finds himself coincidentally trapped there while this this creepy serial killer the collector is in there basically like you know doing these horrible torture porn sorts of things to the family hmm. and this guy has to save the family um it's it's a very kind of you know haunted house you know you and the monster sort of movie the sequel is much more um now the whole army or the 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 police department is all after this guy so now it takes on this more um approach where it's an action sort of film where you've got this group of people going after the one guy trying to stop them in a way it's almost like alien and aliens one is more the monster and the the house movie and then the other one is more the military now going in to stop the monster and that's a, a really kind of what 28 days later 28 weeks later how they kind of play out that's i i think that's a uh, that's an apt comparison yeah and that's why i think the the most effective part of 28 weeks later for me that that really I was very excited when I saw was the opening. It's that that scene in the in the cottage, and you feel like you're with this group of people just trying to survive at night, and they are you know having these conversations. All of a sudden, there's a knock on the door, and and somebody's trying to get in, and it happens to be bright daylight outside, and you don't realize that all these windows have been taped, you know, blacked out because of the all the infected running around. Mm -hmm. Um, that whole opening I felt was just so effective. And then the rest of the film, like you said, it just didn't work as well for me because it did just try to go to this bigger scope and it, I, I didn't buy into it as much. Right. Uh, that film was directed by Juan Carlos Fresnadillo, 
who mm, I who did, I like it, quite a bit. It, do you? I I have not seen uh, really anything else that he's done, but he's uh, but he's in talks to do uh, an adaptation of one of my very favorite video games, uh, Bioshock. Uh, it looks mm. like uh, this was it was supposed to be a Gore Verbinski film, and it looks like uh, they couldn't keep the budget down, so. He directed a fantastic film called um, Intacto or Intact. Mm-hmm. Um, that is, we should talk about it one day on the show. Like we should do a foreign film series. I'd love to chat about this film about people who trade in luck and they try to find other people who have a lot of luck and they basically gamble these big games of luck against each other and you can actually take away the other people's luck. Wait and a minute. It's, Fascinating, fascinating. I've seen film. this. Really, How have really I like seen it. this film? Has this been redone in the U.S. like a different? No, no, it hasn't. I've totally seen this film. I love this film. This is with Sido, Von Sido. Yeah, he's Max right. He comes into play in the third act. Oh my god, I love this movie. Yeah, great, great movie. We should definitely, we should definitely add it to our list at one point. Oh man, I was gonna make a joke about how we could do our. Yeah, sure, Andy, we could do our foreign film series right after our series on French erotica, <laughs> which I'm only semi uh, joking about. But now that you've mentioned this, you're absolutely right. We need, uh, we need to do this film. This yeah. is one of my very favorite films. I can't believe I'd forgotten gotten this one. I, I don't call it intacto. You call it intact. But I don't remember. I'm uh, idiot. I'm an idiot. Uh, this hey. is a great. This is a great movie. Go see this film right after you go see Twenty Eight Days Later again. Anything else to add to? Don't this? worry about Twenty Eight Weeks Later. Just see Intacto. Yeah. This one, then Intacto. Anything else you would like to add to this conversation, Andrew? You know, I do just want to say. I think that the production design team, um, helmed by Mark Tildesley, uh, did a fantastic job making London look barren and empty. Whatever it was they were using, just the you know the hanging the signs up or the litter in the streets or uh, overturned cars, I think they did a bang up job in this film. And I just got to give a shout shout out to him because I the the whole look of this film is enhanced. I mean, it's shot on these DV cameras. You know, Anthony Dodd-Mantle was the DP. And I mean, it works so well for the film, but I don't think it would without the production design looking as solid as it does in this film. It just, everything just rings very true of what this kind of dick, uh, disease, zombie sort of world would look like. And I really like that. From the streets of London to the mansion in the uh, in the third act, whatever it is, I think they did a, a bang up job. Yeah, I it, you know I, it really hinges on particularly when you're when shooting on on DV and sort of that grunge look to to really make it uh, make it hold. It it all feels like it it just every element of this film works together uh, yeah. so well, and uh, you know once you start kind of looking at it closely you realize just how much attention to detail they put into putting this film together under really difficult circumstances. Yeah. Uh, and then one last thing, um, Toby Sedgwick was the uh, infected priest who who came out at him, and it was the first infected that, that Jim runs into. Um, he, I can't remember what... Um, what they said that he was but he was like a movement coach or something like he really understands like movement of the body he is the guy who apparently really helped people come up with the movements for the infected so that they looked like they had that kind of diseased movement they weren't they were acting human but they they had kind of 
odd movements, you know. And so he was the guy who really kind of helped define the the that style in the film. And I think he, uh, you know, deserves big kudos for that as well. Um, the uh, so kudos, mm-hmm. and and kudos. also kudos to Toby. Kudos to Toby. Uh, also the uh, the poster. Uh, oh yeah, great is, poster. Is a, there are a couple of great posters, and I love the tagline. And I think the tagline adds so much to the to to the movie. Uh, day one exposure, day three infection, day eight epidemic, day fifteen evacuation, day twenty devastation. Uh, and and the film is called Twenty Eight Days Later. Tagline: The days are numbered. What I love so much about that is that you know they've just walked through one film in the poster copy. Right. Uh, you know, the the movie we're kept picking up on is after the devastation. So this is not a traditional disaster movie. I just love how the how the poster alludes to the fact that we're getting something different. Yeah, uh, it, it was just uh, really well done. It, Great it horror is. fair. What's equally interesting when you go to the Japanese version of this poster. Uh, so the, the American version, the UK version are all red and it's very much sort of the, the biohazard symbol is everywhere. Uh, and the Japanese version of the poster, it's not a red disaster. It is kind of a beautiful blue and peach sunrise over the city. Over uh, the empty city. Over the empty city. <laughs> and uh, I, I don't know what it is saying on the poster. It is in Japanese, but I think that is a really interesting, you know, what, except, what except the Japanese the people, <laughs> I know, what the Japanese people find scary, I think is very different. Yeah. <laughs> so anyway yeah. that's all i got it's so, it, you know it's a great film i'm glad that uh, we did add it to the mix it was nice revisiting it again and and uh finding that my my love for it has grown i am glad to hear that and and so next week we follow up with and, and we're doing this only in chronological order not uh not for any other reason right uh, right and and only because i have a deep fascination of the entire uh catalog of uh, zombie fair we are doing a 2004 Zack snyder film uh, dawn of the dead and uh, that is uh, obviously a a um, you know it's a remake of romero's 78 version of the same uh film and i uh, i'm really looking forward to talking about this one because it's uh, it it uh it sort of cleans up and uh delivers a uh, sort of a, kind of an uh, I, I don't know i don't want to say mature take on on uh, what we've just seen but it's just a, uh, another mature take on zombies uh yeah. that that actually just 2 years later really you can see kind of um you can see Snyder kind of moving moving zombies forward this is the rise of the zombie nation that's right that's right so. and you know and you know you got to really give big shout out to Romero for all of that because i mean even Danny Boyle yeah. has uh, some tips of the hat to his films dawn of the dead and, yeah. and day of the dead in this film like with the the shopping scene and mm-hmm. and then with the military scene where they've got that one chained up and everything so it's clear how how zombie filmmakers from the 60s and 70s and 80s are influencing those in the 2000s and how even now the ones in the 2002 2003 are uh, influencing you know, 2004 zombie filmmakers so this constant evolution and and uh, uh growth of the the zombie uh subgenre is just a, a fascinating um story in and of itself absolutely agree so i'm lo- very much looking forward to talking about dawn of the dead and uh um gosh keep plowing through halloween month I know it's a good month. It's a great month. 
Thanks. It'll be nice to have one of those Octobers roll around where you get like five, five weeks. <laughs> no, just keep it coming. So everybody That's go right. see 28 Days Later and uh, Dawn of the Dead if you want to catch up with next week. Do we have any uh, hangouts coming up? What's opening soon? It's still We're still looking at November or what, isn't Argo coming up? Argo is this Friday and I don't think we're doing our hangout um, no. this weekend. I think we're, I think <laughs> because we haven't planned it, I think we're, we're going to be pushing it to Cloud Atlas in a couple of weeks. I think Cloud Atlas is the one that's... Uh, that's October that, twenty. October 20th. I think we're it opens October twenty sixth, I believe, and I think we're doing the hangout on the twenty seventh. Yes. All right. Looking forward to that. Yeah, it's going to be a fun one to talk about, All right. and I I hope that the Prometheus effect does not take effect on that film. Oh god, that's going to be really disappointing. Have you you still haven't read the book yet, right? I I, no. I yeah, there's no All chance right. I'm going to get it read before the movie comes out. So. All right. Well, you look for that uh, gift certificate for. Uh, Walking Dead. Okay. <laughs> I, uh, I can't wait. <laughs> good talk, Andrew. Have a good night. Go eat some brains. You know what I got the other day, Pete? Stephen King's latest. Want to borrow it? Do you know who you're talking to? What do you mean? Andy, when's the last time I read a paper book? It's been like decades. I would much rather use Kindle or better yet, Audible. What am I thinking? I don't read paper books anymore either. I am an audiobook guy all the way. For those of you looking to listen to the books behind the films we talk about here on The Next Reel, get a free audiobook download and 30-day free trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. It's the way to go. We covered a lot of great movies that started as books or plays in season two, like Powell and Pressburger's The Red Shoes and The African Queen from our series about legendary cinematographer Jack Cardiff. The Bourne Identity, Supremacy, Ultimatum, and Legacy. Jaws, Big Fish, The Thing, Bullet, Drive. The Maltese Falcon, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, Moneyball. Ah, Moneyball. The Prestige, The Town, The Killing. So many great movies from so many great sources. Producing this podcast is a lot of fun, but takes a lot of time. We've dropped the dynamically inserted ads because they are so annoying and have no connection to our content. Plus, they just jam those things wherever they see fit. We listened when you said you didn't like them. So now we're directly appealing to you, our dear listener. Please consider an Audible subscription to help support The Next Reel and our family of podcasts. I have been using Audible along with my family for decades now. I love it, and I have read hundreds of books through it. I couldn't be more pleased with their service, and I know you'll love it, too. Head to thenextreel.com slash audible and get your free trial. It really helps us out, and you have a world of over 200,000 audiobooks open to you. So much great material available. Dive in with a free 30-day trial at thenextreel.com slash audible. Start listening to amazing audiobooks of your favorite movie source material with your first free audiobook today. That's thenextreel.com slash audible.